What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Pastor Keith Crosby of Hillside Church and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. There's that urgency, the need to understand and apply what is in this book we call Revelation, what is in this larger book we call the Bible. And that's why in 2 Timothy 2.15, do your best, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. I can see the promised land Though there's pain within the plan There is victory in the end Your love is my battle cry The answer for all my life Every dragon will fall The mountains will move Every chain of the past you've broken into All the fear of the lies We're singing the truth That nothing is impossible with you Hello and welcome to today's edition of the Grace to Live radio broadcast with Keith Crosby, Senior Pastor of Hillside Church in San Jose, California. We are so delighted that you've chosen to spend time with us today in the program. And as always, we would encourage you to follow along in your Bibles if you can. On today's program, Pastor Keith continues with the Future Grace series, an in-depth study of the book of Revelation. So if you have your Bibles... Please turn with us today to Revelation chapter 1. Now here's Pastor Keith with today's study. And I had just finished my doctorate and done my dissertation and was recovering. And we started talking and he says, yeah, what I do is I come at the text through my personal theology. And it determines how I develop the sermon and preach the text. And I was shocked. But then as I discovered, he he used this textbook. The method that has been around pretty much since the time of Jesus is the one I'm about to show you. It looks like the other one, but there's a slight differential. And that is at the bottom here, you start with the text. And then you apply your interpretive process and that develops your biblical theology and systematic theology It's sort of an artificial thing where you take what you learn from each book of the Bible and you organize it around a theme. 
But the method that we use is we start with the text, not with tradition, not with our own theology. We come to the Bible to read from the Bible how we ought to change our thinking, our living, and if necessary, our theology. And this is the approach that we'll be taking with the book of Revelation. What do the words say? Call this observation. What do the words mean? Call that interpretation. And how then shall I live? Call that application. Because you can be very, very precise and very, very inaccurate. And you can repeat the same mistakes all over again. So our compass are the scriptures. That's what our compass is. Our compass is the scriptures. Now, the good news is that even with that textbook, it'll get you in the neighborhood and you're not going to misunderstand salvation or anything else. So how problematic are the two different Protestant, if you want to call it that, interpretive processes? Is it necessarily fatal or harmful? No, it isn't. But it's not necessarily good either because when you have a compass, if you're off three degrees in either direction, way down the road, you can be way off. Three degrees might be 20 feet off in a mile, but in 100 miles, it might be 20 yards. In 1,000 miles, it might be 20 miles. And so I want to give you some examples. I want you to work through this because as we understand the book of Revelation, understanding how to approach it, what does it say, what does it mean, what do we do, This is a word, this word is in a sentence, a sentence makes up a paragraph, a paragraph makes up a flow of thought, a flow of thought, a big idea. I I want us to understand the value of letting the text speak for itself and speak to us. So Revelation chapter 20 verses 1 through 3 is a great example of where these three processes go in different directions. And in Revelation 21 through 3 we read this. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, holding in his hand the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain. And he seized the dragon, the ancient serpent, who is the devil, and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years and threw him into the pit, some translations say the abyss, and shut it up and sealed it over him so that, so that, for the purpose of, he might not deceive the nations any longer. Until the thousand years were ended. After that, he must be released for a little while. What does the text say? What does the text mean? What are we to take away from that? Well, there are interpretive approaches that see this as purely allegorical. A thousand years doesn't mean a thousand years. It means a long time. Or spiritual. Uh, It depends on which compass you're using. One view See, Satan is literally bound, and as the text says, unable to deceive the nations for a thousand years. Some would call this the millennial, the millennialist or the futurist view. Another view holds that the millennium is not a literal thousand years, but is the current ongoing age in which we live today, the ongoing rise of God's kingdom and not a literal time frame. Uh, It began with the destruction of the temple at 30 AD, uh, excuse me, at 70 AD, and is ongoing. This is called the preterist or the partial preterist or a millennial view. Satan's activity is curbed but not nullified for a period of time. He's not prevented. And that's kind of tough because the text kind of says 
He's put in the, in the pit so he can't deceive. There's a third view. It says that we are living in an era that is evolving into a golden age where we will make the world mostly Christian and at the end of this glorious time when peace and justice begin to reign worldwide as the world gets better and better and better and better, at the end of that time, as we make the whole world Christian, Christ will return to rule in person. That is called the historicist historicist, or the post-millennial view. Satan's power is ever decreasing as a golden age evolves and develops. Three very different interpretations, none of which would seem to keep anyone out of heaven. Sometimes it divides churches and the people of God. But here's the problem with that. Just like the wrong information will keep you from the right house in the right neighborhood and late for a date, we want to be accurate in our handling of God's word. And so we don't let our theology define the interpretation of the text. We let the text define our theology and interpretation. There's an old joke about eschatology. Pastors like to tell jokes. Everybody likes to tell jokes. Most of the time, pastors don't tell jokes very well, so this will probably be one of those times. And it's this. There's the premillennialist view, there is the amillennialist view, there's the postmillennialist view, and there is the panmillennialist view. And somebody goes, well, I'm familiar with the premillennialist view, right? Uh, I'm familiar with the amillennialist view. I'm not familiar, well, I'm kind of familiar with the postmillennialist view. But the panmillennialist, I can't even say it, millennialist view, this is why I'm not in comedy, I don't understand what that is. And that's the idea that who knows which is the right view, but in the end it all pans out anyway. (laughs) Then the panning out punchline, even with an incompetent joke teller like me, is always good for at least a snicker or a laugh. But here's the tricky part. These three interpretive processes lead to very different understandings of what the church is, of scriptural believers' baptism, of baptizing unbelieving children, of even foreign policy and war. And you're probably saying, well, foreign policy and war? Give me a break. It does. Our interpretive practice affects how we see the world. How so? Because if we do not rightly divide the word of truth, if we do not rightly understand what the Bible says, we can get a lot wrong. Here's an example. This is a Christian publication, and this is the headline. We need a radical prophetic position on Israel and Palestine. And the idea here is is that the occupation of Palestine by Israel needs to come to an end, and uh, we need to do something about that. The next slide kind of continues along this. This is a later uh, publication, same a later article it says U.S. Christians can't ignore Israel's ongoing occupation of Palestine and it talks about Gaza and the Palestinian Authority and things like that and uh, basically when you see stuff like this and you see institutions Christian or otherwise defunding you know uh, their uh, endowments and penalizing the nation of Israel you understand the importance of an interpretive process because Gaza, 
Palestine, parts of Saudi Arabia, parts of Iraq, parts of Syria belong to Israel. And the only occupation that's taking place are these countries and these people. And you don't want to be on the wrong end of that understanding. The idea that we need a radical prophetic position on Israel and Palestine is contra-biblical. But I want you to notice something in the upper right-hand corner of the article here because this article kind of takes a post-millennial position. It says, faith and action for social justice. The pan-millennial, the post-millennial position and to some degree the amillennial position because it speaks of us living in a glorious age where things are getting better gave birth to the idea that we could make the world Christian. We call that Christian reconstructionism or dominion theology. That we are here to create a utopia and to put the kingdom of God here on earth by our own hands somehow, some way. As instruments of divine providence undeniably. But at the end of the day, post-millennialism is where you get things like liberation theology the social gospel, critical justice theory. And it's it's the, these things have lent themselves to uh, detaching some of the mainline denominations today in America from the Bible and forgetting what God's prophetic plan is. And it is radical and it's got nothing to do with what they're writing about. So we just can't hope that all these Various and sundry interpretive approaches somehow pan out because they will not. They will eventually lead to three very different destinations. And that's why we read in Revelation 1-3, blessed is one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy and blessed are those who hear and who keep it and who keep what is written in it for the time is near. There's that urgency, the need to understand and apply what is in this book we call Revelation, what is in this larger book we call the Bible. And that's why in 2 Timothy 2.15, do your best, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. Remember that each verse has one single interpretation, although many applications. Our job is to discover what the author intended and apply it, its significance to the time in which we live. And as we know, God isn't done with Israel. The church has not replaced Israel. How do we know that? Revelation 1, 4, and 7. John to the seven churches, seven literal churches that are in Asia, a real place. Grace and peace to you from him who is and who was and who is to come and from the seven spirits that are before his throne. Behold, he is coming in the clouds and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all the tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. And then how did we let scripture interpret scripture so we could understand even those who pierced him last week? Zechariah 12, 10, and I will pour out on the house of David and all the inhabitants of Jerusalem. House of David never refers to the church in the Bible. Inhabitants of Jerusalem refers to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. 
And I will pour out on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of grace and pleas for mercy so that when they look on me whom they have pierced, they will mourn for him as one mourns for an only child and weep bitterly over him as one weeps over a firstborn. Why is this significant? Because God isn't done with Israel and neither are we. Uh, We need to be very careful about how we treat Israel our attitude toward them. Why? Well, we talked about this too, right? Genesis 12, verses one through three. What does that say? Now the Lord said to Abraham, go forth from your country and to your relatives and from your father's house to the land which I will show you and I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great. And so you shall be a blessing and I will bless you and I will bless those who bless you And the one who curses you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. And then we went to Genesis 22, 2 through 5, and saw that promise repeated. And I will multiply your offspring, verse 4, as the stars of heaven, and will give to your offspring all these lands. This is talking to Isaac. And in your offspring, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. Why? Because Abraham obeyed my voice. You want to be very careful how you treat Israel. Palestine belongs to Israel. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse those who curse you. And we do not want to take the direction that this publication and that many Christians take today because they have a confused idea about how to interpret the Bible. We want to be careful how we interpret and respond to God's word because revelation matters, interpretation matters, application matters. Therefore, yes, eschatology matters. There's a right way and a wrong way to interpret scripture and sometimes a miss is as good as a mile. And even if you end up in the right neighborhood eternally, you want to end up in the right house before that. And ideas like we need a radical prophetic position on Israel and Palestine has no place in the church of God. Blessed are the the one who reads the words of this prophecy and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it for the time is near. Do your best to present yourself to God, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. Which ties into our scripture reading, doesn't it? Matthew 7, 24 to 27, the end of the Sermon on the Mount. Everyone who then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like the man who built his house on the rock and the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like the foolish man who built his house on the sand and the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and the fall and great was the fall of it. As we study the book of Revelation, we want to pay heed to the words of Jesus in this book and we want to take a simple, natural, common sense reading of the book. We want to recognize symbolism. We want to understand and see word pictures and figures of speech but we want to follow the discourse. We want to follow the thought, the line of thought and reasoning through the whole book. And we don't want to 
allegorize here, spiritualize here without a system. So I'm not here today to attack any particular eschatology or theology. I'm here today to prescribe a method of understanding what Revelation says to keep us all honest, to keep us all headed toward the right house in the right neighborhood the first time. And that is, what do the words say? What do the words mean? And how then shall we live? Because interpretations matter. And interpretive processes matter because they lead to application. And we want to be as careful and as accurate, not merely precise, but accurate, truthful as we can be. So what do you do with this? What do you do with a message like this? Well, this brings us to the end of the introduction to the book of Revelation. And so we're gonna start with the glorified Christ next week and we'll understand that even for his close friend John, he was no one to be trifled with. And we're gonna get into the letter of the seven churches and why the way they approached the Bible was important to God. In the meantime, what do you do? And let me give you four suggestions for application. The first one is this. As the little boy said to Augustine, pick up and read. Pick up and read. Pick up the text and read it for yourself. Don't just wait till Sunday. Be a good Berean and make sure the things that I say are true. Pick up and read. Forget about your favorite YouTube pastor. Don't read books that only echo what you want to believe or what tradition you come from. Read the book. Read the Bible for yourself. Number two, let the text inform your thinking. Let the text inform your theology. Do not read your preferences or what you perceive as my preferences into the text. Read out of the text. From now until we finish this book, I'm going to ask you to take the desert island test. What's that? Pretend you're on a desert island only with the Bible. Read it. I don't want to hear about this book you read or this video or anything like that. I want you to read, okay? Three, understand what you believe and why. Understand what you believe and why from the text. And four, which brings us, you know, kind of back to Revelation 1, 3, understand who you're dealing with in Revelation. Understand who we serve and who we are dealing with now, and that is the glorified Christ who came to earth, who died for our sin in our place, who paid the, the debt that we could never pay, who shed his blood and purchased us, who rose again and conquered sin, death, and hell, and who is returning, and based on what he's gonna say to, to the seven churches, has a very particular attitude about how he wants to be worshiped. And Chris will talk more about that next week. So, again, choose a good compass. Choose the right interpretive process, which is what does the word of God say and where do I go? And let the word of God take you. Not Keith Crosby take you. Let the word of God take you wherever it will. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, 
Jesus prayed in his uh, high priestly prayer, sanctify us in truth, Father, your word is truth. Lord, in this era, in this age, in this world that is getting worse every day, as you write in 2 Timothy 4 and 3, things going from bad to worse, we need your word as our compass, as our moral compass, as our redemptive compass, as our theological compass, as our compass for daily living, for the glory of God, the good of others, and yes, our own growth. Help us to remember, Lord, who we serve. And we don't serve a tradition. We serve the living, glorified Christ. So help us to conduct ourselves with fear and trembling during our exile here on earth as we fulfill the great commission. For you have raised us up for such a time as this. Help us to be good Bereans, Father. We ask these things humbly and undeservedly. In Jesus' name, amen. Pastor Keith Crosby on today's edition of Grace to Live. We are so blessed that you've chosen to spend time with us today studying God's Word. And if you'd like more information on Pastor Keith or Hillside Church, here's how you can connect with us. Our mailing address is 545 Hillsdale Avenue in San Jose, California, 95136. The church office telephone line is area code 408 269 4782. And you can connect with us on our website, which is gracetoliveradio.org. There you can check out archived messages of past sermons and also listen to Pastor Keith's weekly blog. And please remember that the Grace to Live Radio program is a listener supported ministry outreach of Hillside Church if you'd like to partner with us financially. Again, all of these things are available to you on our website, gracetoliveradio.org. Also, I'd like to remind you that Pastor Keith and the staff here at Hillside always look forward to hearing from you. So if you'd like to drop us a note, you can email us here at keith at hillside.org. Well, we hope that you'll join us again next time for Grace to Live. But until then, I'm your host, Kevin Reeves. And on behalf of Pastor Keith and everyone here at Hillside Church, it is our prayer that the Lord will richly bless you. And thanks for listening. big money on your outdoor project now at menards we have everything you need to keep your outdoor power equipment running smooth so you can keep that lawn in tip-top shape or enjoy some time on your boat right now all fvp lawn and garden and marine batteries are on sale through may 5th check out our entire selection of fvp batteries today and view our weekly flyer on menards.com for more great deals save big money